Welcome back, everybody, to another chapter of the Womance Public Access Read-Along of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. My name is Morgan. I read the odd chapters. My name is Isabeau, and I read the even chapter. Uh, in this chapter is chapter 17. Just like the magazine. Oh, just like the magazine. I wonder if there'll be any cute boys. <laughs> what are six new ways to color my braid hair (laughs) 17 ironically is for 14 year olds only it's true that's who reads it but this chapter this this 17 people of all ages are welcome to listen to it and enjoy all comers all comers you're so welcome but (laughs) the thing about reading chapter 17 this time is that it means we read chapter 16 last time Mm -hmm. and i I'm a babe in the woods. What happened in chapter 16? Oh, man, Morgan. So much talking. And listen. <laughs> it turns out that your girl Lizzie is a bit of a gossip goose. Ooh, honk, honk. And the cute boy, Mr. Wickham, shows up at her aunt and uncle's party soiree. She immediately forgets that she came with Mr. Collins. Mr. Wickham tells her all of her worst and most joyous, confirmed bad feelings about Mr. Darcy, that he's hateful and prideful and cheated Mr. Wickham out of a very handsome living on the estate in Derbyshire because Wickham was, of course, Darcy's dad's favorite, um, even though he was the son of the steward. So, like, I don't know what implication Wickham is putting in there. But he's so good at giving her the gossip that she wants most confirmed. And even when she's like, wait, wait, wait. What about Mr. Bingley? He's like, I've heard Mr. Bingley's great. So that only further confirms. No, he said he doesn't know anything about Mr. Bingley. Right. He doesn't know anything about Mr. Bingley, but he's heard on all accounts. Right. Exactly. So like he confirms all of Elizabeth's worst instincts about Darcy while all the while maintaining what feels like an air of um, Fairness, right? Because mm-hmm. he doesn't know anything about right? Mr. Bingley. He, he's, he's not, heard he's great. He's not. He would never tell tales out of school. Exactly. And so then Elizabeth is like, "This unimpeachable hottie <laughs> is everything I'm looking for." Also, is there anything more intoxicating than a dreamy boy who wants to gossip? No, there's nothing more intoxicating. <laughs> and so she gets all of her uh, keys tickled. And they go home, and Mr. Collins had a great time. Talking to the elderly aunt. (laughs) Mrs. Phillips. All right, and that is where we join up in Chapter 17. Elizabeth related to Jane the next day what had passed between Mr. Wickham and herself. Jane listened with astonishment and concern. She knew not how to believe Mr. Darcy could be so unworthy of Mr. Bingley's regard. And yet, it was not in her nature to question the veracity of a young man of such amiable appearance as Wickham. The possibility of his having really endured such unkindness was enough to interest all her tender feelings, and nothing therefore remained to be done but to think well of them both, to defend the conduct of each, and throw into the account of accident or mistake whatever could not 
be otherwise explained. What a fucking Isabeau move. <laughs> I'm take, sure they both meant their best. Just take my side. Just, <laughs> or a side, honestly. <laughs> Listen, it's really, I'm going to sit on this fence until it wears a hole in my butt. another hole in my butt (laughs) they have both said she been deceived i dare say in some way or other of which we can form no idea interested people have perhaps misrepresented each to the other it is in short impossible for us to conjecture the causes or circumstances which may have alienated them without actual blame on either side Very true indeed. And now, my dear Jane, what have you got to say in behalf of the interested people who have probably been concerned in the business? Do clear them, too, or we shall be obliged to think ill of somebody. Laugh as much as you choose, but you will not laugh me out of my opinion. My dearest Lizzie, do but consider in what a disgraceful light it places Mr. Darcy to be treating his father's favorite in such a manner— one whom his father had promised to provide for. It is impossible. No man of common humanity, no man who had any value for his character, could be capable of it. Can his most intimate friends be so excessively deceived in him? Oh, no. I can much more easily believe Mr. Bingley's being imposed on than that Mr. Wickham should have invented such a history of himself as he gave me last night. Names? Facts? Everything mentioned without ceremony. If it be not so, let Mr. Darcy contradict it. Besides, there was truth in his looks. He was tall. I trusted him implicitly. He was tall. (laughs) Also, like, classic truthful people thing, giving you a lot of details. Mm -hmm. It is difficult indeed. It is distressing. One does not know what to think. I beg your pardon. One knows exactly what to think. This is literally an episode of Womance. <laughs> I've never been Jane before, but I am definitely Jane in this moment. That Jane could think with certainty on only one point, that Mr. Bingley, if he had been imposed on, would have much to suffer when the affair became public. The two young ladies were summoned from the shrubbery where this conversation passed by the arrival of some of the very persons of whom they had been speaking. Mr. Bingley and his sisters came to give their personal invitation for the long-expected ball at Netherfield, which was fixed for the following Tuesday. The two ladies were delighted to see their dear friend again, called it an age since they had met, and repeatedly asked what she had been doing with herself since their separation. To the rest of the family, they paid little attention, avoiding Mrs. Bennet with as much as possible, saying not much to Elizabeth and nothing at all to the others. They were soon gone again, rising from their seats with an activity which took their brother by surprise and hurrying off as if eager to escape from Mrs. Bennet's civilities. The prospect of the Netherfield Ball was extremely agreeable to every female of the family. Mrs. Bennet chose to consider it as given in compliment to her eldest daughter, and was particularly flattered by receiving the invitation from Mr. Bingley himself instead of a ceremonious card. Jane pictured to herself a happy evening in the society of her two friends and the attentions of their brother and Elizabeth thought with pleasure of dancing a great deal with Mr. Wickham and of seeing a confirmation of everything in Mr. Darcy's looks and behavior. 
<laughs> the happiness anticipated by Catherine and Lydia depended less on any single event and or any particular person, for though they each, like Elizabeth, meant to dance half the evening with Mr. Wickham, he was by no means the only partner who could satisfy them, and a ball was, at any rate, a ball. And even Mary could assure her family that she had no disinclination for it. While I can have my mornings to myself, said she, it is enough, I think, it no sacrifice to join occasionally in evening engagements. Society has claims on us all, and I profess myself one of those who consider intervals of recreation and amusement as desirable for everybody. Oh. <laughs> Elizabeth's spirits were so high on the occasion that though she did not speak unnecessarily to Mr. Collins, she could not help asking him whether he intended to accept Mr. Bingley's invitation, and if he did, whether he would think it properly to join in the evening's amusement, and she was rather surprised to find that he entertained no scruple whatever on that head, and was very far from dreading the rebuke either from the Archbishop or Lady Catherine de Bourgh by venturing to dance. I am by no means of opinion, I assure you, said he, that a ball of this kind, given by a young man of character to respectable people, can have any evil tendency. And I am so far from objecting to dancing myself that I shall hope to be honored with the hands of all my fair cousins in the course of the evening. And I take this opportunity of soliciting yours, Miss Elizabeth, for the first two dances especially, a preference which I trust my cousin Jane will attribute to the right cause and not to any disrespect for her. <laughs> oh, this is one of the worst things I've read. I shall hope to be honored with the hands of all my fair cousins. <laughs> so British. Elizabeth felt herself completely taken in. She had fully proposed being engaged by Wickham for those very dances, and to have Mr. Collins instead. Her liveliness had never been worse timed. There is no help for it, however. Mr. Wickham's happiness and her own was perforce delayed a little longer, and Mr. Collins's proposal accepted with as good a grace as she could. She was not the better pleased with his gallantry from the idea it suggested of something more. It now first struck her that she was selected from among her sisters as worthy of being the mistress of Hunsford Parsonage and of assisting to form a quadrille table at Rosings in the absence of more eligible visitors. The idea soon reached to conviction as she observed his increasing civilities toward herself and heard his frequent attempt at compliment on her wit and vivacity, and though more astonished, then gratified herself by this effect of her charms, it was not long before her mother gave her to understand that the probability of their marriage was exceedingly agreeable to her. Elizabeth, however, did not choose to take the hint, being well aware that a serious dispute must be the consequence of any reply. Mr. Collins might never make the offer. Until he did, it was useless to quarrel about him. If there had not been another field ball to prepare for and talk of, the younger Miss Bennets would have been in a pitiable state at this time. For, from the day of the invitation to the day of the ball, there was such a succession of rain as prevented their walking to Maryton once. No aunt, no officers, no news could be sought after, and the very shoe roses for Netherfield were got by proxy. 
Even Elizabeth might have found some trial of, of her patience in weather, which totally suspended the improvement of her acquaintance with Mr. Wickham, and nothing less than a dance on Tuesday could have made such a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday endurable to Kitty and Lydia. And that concludes chapter 17, reminding us that the Regency was before weekends existed. <laughs> mm. At least for these folks, like the people who till in the fields, at least know that they don't have to till on Sunday. That's true. Well, I mean, they did, but they got to go to church. Right. If you have to till, you have to till. Yeah, you don't have to till on Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah, it seems crazy to have a big party that would go all hours on a Tuesday. What a life. What a life. What luxury. I also love that Elizabeth is just like, everything's going to be confirmed. Darcy's going to look stupid and I'm going to watch. She's really into Wickham. Any other thoughts that you have that you would like to express on this? My initial feeling was like, this is kind of a liminal space of a chapter. But it's not, right? Like, we mm-hmm. learned that Lizzie now knows of her cousin's uh, plans for her cousin hands. And learn about what a set, how, how Jane sees herself. And I think that's important. I think Jane is kind of constantly magnanimous, but I think it's always easy to be magnanimous when you're, like, floating on a cloud. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another just thing to keep in mind right like actual actual plot progression is happening even while i'm like i want to get to the ball (laughs) i'm just i'm no better than kitty and lydia i too want to get to the ball well let's get to the ball then let's get to the ball uh with that loosen your prejudices but never your prides Mm -hmm.